Hey everyone, Future Gabe here. Uh, before today's episode, I wanted to let everyone know that we have listed a link to the Middle Eastern Children's Alliance to help provide emergency funding to the families forced to leave their homes in Gaza. Our donations will go towards hospitals and other emergency relief centers. We encourage you to please donate and help those who are suffering. Please remember that this is a humanitarian crisis and we must do our part. The link is will be in our episode bio and will be on our social soon. Thank you, and on with the show. Breaking news! Your mom's gay. morning and welcome back to the bottom of the barrel report the podcast where we dredge through the absolute filth that is the bottom of cinema i'm katie laird we're glad to have you with us today i am your host and i am joined by all previous hosts of the podcast welcome everybody hello yeah hello yeah i'm daniel i'm glad everybody was so into that i put on my best anchor voice and this is what i get did I sound tired? I'm sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. I'm glad to be here. Um, it's a nice sunny day here in Seattle, Washington. Uh, the Seahawks are playing the the Penguins. I don't know this okay, season. No. How's it's everybody? Really how's everybody doing today? Doing good. Uh, yeah. Trudging through the absolute filth that is the bottom of life right now. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you? I'm so happy to hear. <laughs> One time, Jake is like, I'm fantastic. <laughs> So happy yeah. to hear at least somebody is doing decent. <laughs> yeah, times are great. Yeah. <laughs> Love and life. Anybody done anything fun recently? We uh we filmed some some stuff for Gabe's short film. Oh yeah. Um That's yesterday, fun. which is really cool. It was a lot of fun. I got to be in it. Yeah. So, which is fun. Jazzy got to be in it. Yeah, Jazzy is the, the star of the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. She was real cute in all of it. She's staring at us like we're crazy. <laughs> Is it like dog with a blog? Oh my god. <laughs> I wish the absolute peak of cinema the truck was dog stops with where? <laughs> the truck stops here. The song from Dog and the Blog that I cannot get out of my head. Anyways. Um all right. I have a I think I have eleven articles uh, to go through today. Um if we run over time, I can cut a couple out. Like we don't need to go. Oh, we'll have a separate segment that's cut for time. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to get us started. Um, so the first thing that I'm going to bring up is the last couple of weeks have been a really rough one for movies in the box office. It's been really rough the past couple of weeks. Um, to get us started, um, these next few articles all came from ScreenRant.com. Um, the first one is... Um, uh, the Marvels, the Marvels movie collapsed at the box office with a record second weekend drop that is worse than Morbius. Oh, which is, really? <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy to think about. So the Marvels, uh, this is a quote from the article. The Marvels has experienced an unprecedented week to drop. The movie, which is a direct sequel to 2019's Captain Marvel, is the 33rd feature in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and third in Phase 5. Um, per Variety, the Marvel's box office has taken a huge hit in its second weekend. After earning the lowest opening weekend in, of the entire MCU, it has now grossed an additional $10.2 million at the domestic box office, a staggering drop of 79%. Uh, 
This is the worst weekend to drop for a comic book movie, even worse than the 74% slump earned by the notorious Sony outing Morbius. That's so sad. I I mean, I I love all of the actors that are in that movie. I'm so sad for them to be saddled with such a a terrible industry. I know. And we, this is something that Gabe and I have said, you know, multiple times. Um, Personally, I think the MCU is kind of beating a dead horse, trying to stick with an entire cinematic universe. It's a very cool concept. However, to make everything centered around like make everything connect with everything it's i just i don't think it's working for them obviously by this i think it it's we're just fatigued with the whole multiverse thing yeah because Mm -hmm. it's not even marvel like a a bunch of other like across the spider-verse you know while that movie is significantly better Mm -hmm. um it's a multiverse thing you know we had everything everywhere all at once Mm -hmm. so like we have all of these things that's it's like constant crossovers it's easier to watch the same premise over and over again yeah and i think and, there's also a lot of just like hatred for captain marvel especially she's yeah. just underwritten at least in the movies right. that we've seen yeah, yeah like you kind of get the stubble-edged sword of they're underwritten and also sexist people hate it so it's like yeah both yeah. sides yes <laughs> like, sure. like i didn't hate that captain hate. marvel movie like, yeah. I, I never thought it was fine. I thought Captain Marvel was like it, it. Like parts of it were fine. Whenever it was about the Rambo family and Captain Marvel and Nick Fury, the rest of it yeah. I found very, very boring and undeveloped. Underdeveloped. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like it, it felt like it was written to be very safe. For sure. Yeah. Like people That's... had very dramatic reactions to it, but it was a very safe movie. Yeah. I, I think mean, the, the worst whole thing. 80s, 90s aesthetic was supposed to be a big pull, and I don't think it worked very well for them. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, and I think the, the whole fact that Nick Fury lost his eye because a cat scratched it is really fucking stupid. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, like, I, 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 I get it, but like, I get he's like an alien cat, but really? Especially yeah. since his line is, I trust somebody. Like, it builds it up to be this thing. Yeah. Like, we don't need to know what it is, but like, some seriously fucked up shit happened to him. But nah, Last it was just time I cat. trusted somebody, I lost an eye. And also, like, the climax of the movie is like, um, is like, she's like, the main climax of the movie is like showing a, like, a flashbacks to like her, her childhood and all the times she's been knocked down. And her main defining point is that she, gets back up again after being knocked down. It's it's You're never like, gonna keep her down, you could say. Yeah, I make that <laughs> that's the song that plays in my head every single time I think of that scene. Where like it's just like it's like, oh my main defining point is that I have low points and then I rise back up. Which I thought Yeah. They could have gone with something more stronger. Like honestly felt like it would have been a more defined movie if they went like full feminists with it instead of just yeah. Very middle of the road, I'd say. I had to do commercial feminism. Yes. Right. Like, I don't know. Like, it, it, it could have been about, like, being defined by the people around you. Especially because, like, that's the entire point of, like, her old life that she had. But Yeah. Like... I didn't catch... I watched a couple episodes of that Ms. Marvel show and just lost interest. I, I have a lot of seen... people say that it, that it was good for a specific audience. It, it's yeah. fun if, like... It felt like a Disney Channel show when I. Yes. 
it was like oh, this is a little too corny for me i understand if, if it has an audience awesome cool like i want to see this character and more stuff but like the show itself i was like eh. uh mm-hmm. i haven't watched she hulk either um I, I did watch She-Hulk. I, I didn't mind it. It was fine. It was, an, yeah. it was another, like, middle-of-the-road, safe, fine show. Yeah. that's Yeah, and I didn't watch Secret Invasion. I completely I forgot that was even a thing. It had yeah, AI as in its intro, so I said... Oh. Watching it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this article goes on to talk about how the Marvels compares to the rest of the MCU... So it says, though this box office result is grim, the Marvel's release comes at a time when the MCU is already experiencing diminishing returns, both critically and commercially. Uh, Although the previous MCU movie, The Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, had a solid performance at the box office, the prior movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, previously posted the worst weekend to drop of the franchise. That title had a slump of 69.9% following its considerably more solid opening weekend gross of of $106.1 However, the new moving ha- mo- new movie having both the worst opening and the worst drop simultaneously is probably not a good sign. This gross was partially impacted by the fact that the Marvel's cast was unavailable to promote the movie during the lead up to the release, which largely took place during the uh, the, the SAG strike. Yeah. Uh, as actors were fighting for fair pay. Uh, however, other MCU movies that were impacted by factors such as COVID nineteen pandemic tended to post much better second weekend drops like 2021's Black Widow, which only dropped 67.8%. I didn't hate that Black Widow movie. A lot of people did, but I didn't hate it. Again, I I, still haven't seen it. I would have loved it if it came out in the chronology of when it takes place. Right. Sure. Like If it came out right after Civil War, I think it would have been gangbusters. Some of the CGI was like shoddy. Oh yeah, some some of those visual effects were like, oof. Yeah, like there's a scene where uh, Yelena like gets blown off of the ship. <laughs> it looks terrible. But yeah. I, I know that they also wanted to tie in like Yelena being uh, snapped away or whatever. Cool moment. I really love that. I love the story of it. But like, they it was it didn't wasn't super necessary. Otherwise, could have fit right after Civil War and would have been great. Yeah, just sure. that uh, Hollywood wasn't ready for a uh, female action. Female uh, uh, action movie led by women. Yeah, I don't know about Hollywood, but I was ready. <laughs> well, yeah, like the people who I care about the characters were ready. But like, yeah. So yeah. the point of this is we still don't know if the Marvels is an outlier or a kind of a a leading factor. Well, Quantum Mania or... did awful too. Right, and mm. but the next MCU movie on the schedule is uh, uh Deadpool three, which sees the return of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. And Which I think they should have not put that out there. Right. They should have kept that a secret. So it could have. So that could. <laughs> right. So it, that could compel audiences that loved X Men movies to go and see it. However, there are other upcoming titles like Captain America: Brave New World and the Fantastic Four that may face the same challenges as um, as the Marvels. Also, Pedro Pascal getting cast as Reed Richards. Right. Fuck. <laughs> so that opens up a whole other conversation of. Pedro Pascal as, who is he? Reader, Mr. Fantastic. Okay, so that character, as well as revealing immediately Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, it could be they're trying to entice... We've known that for a while, though. The Hugh Jackman thing. That's that's the point I'm trying to make, is that they're trying to release this information as early as possible to entice audiences to get excited. People are going to go watch Deadpool 3 anyway. Right, exactly. it's It's like a far-from-home thing, where they... 
there was a release that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire might be in the movie, building up all this hype. Could have been leaked. Maybe it actually was leaked. Or it was, it was yeah. planted. The thing is, Disney saw that, like, people knowing about that stuff in advance really built up the, like, suspicion hype. So it wouldn't okay. surprise me if those photos of Hugh Jackman got leaked, like, as a plant. Like, they didn't actually right. leak. Yeah. Well, they but the thing is... The, the photos might have, but like Ryan Reynolds did a video with Hugh Jackman saying oh, yeah. Yeah. after those photos, technically. No, that was before that was before they even started filming. Oh, OK. Yeah, oh. this was like uh, he did a video where he's like uh, Hugh Jackman's like in his house and he's like, hey, Hugh, do you want to be a Wolverine again? He's like, yeah, sure. Like this <laughs> is before they started filming. It. So gotcha. this was like, uh, yeah, this was like the big thing that they were getting people to do. And th- then they kept like releasing all this info about it like what's going to be in it like toby Maguire is supposed to be in it like Bruh. wild i feel like they want those like theory crafting videos about like oh now that we know that this actor's in it what's the plot going to be like or like oh what's been let up or it's like i feel like yeah that's one of the main like things that they like like to see like in movies like civil war and just like all the but early the- big <sighs> ones and like they the want they want like- more of those um, the I think the thing that works with No Way Home is that this was like not it was not something that was built up. It was just it it was like uh, it, I mean pretty much fan service, but they did it. They didn't make it the selling point of the movie. Sure, they made they made it like oh this is like. And at, at least when I watched it, and this it might have been just the hype. I've only seen it like on op- I, I saw it when it came out, and I haven't seen it since. Um, but like, it it had a sense of this movie meant like it had weight to it. Yeah. Um, like having Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in it, like not only was it it like made every fanboy come in their jeans. Um. <laughs> But like it was a really good moment, and it was done well. And I don't think because they're not in the movie that much; they're like in the last twenty minutes. Um, right. So that wasn't the whole draw or the whole focus. And it's it just seeing like the three Spider Men like talk to each other like that was just it was a a well written moment. Whereas movies like this are they're just using whatever they can to get people to watch it. And right. it, it doesn't feel genuine. Hugh Jackman coming back doesn't feel right, especially the way Logan ended. Like that was supposed to be his final movie. Like I'm done with this character, and it was right. a really great send off. And them just being like, "Oh well, now he's in it again." It like yeah. it 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 takes out any weight to any sort of superhero right. that we've seen on screen. Like it makes Logan not matter as much well it's that kind of thing where like there's studies that are coming out that like gen z younger kids are like trained from a very young age to recognize when an ad is an ad or is or just something is uh, disingenuous eat those like, hate those logos <laughs> like there's literally like entire things about advertising and marketing that's like ways to make ads feel like they're from genuine people rather than like from a company because kids don't like it Kids, kids pick it up in a second and they know that it's shit. Like they, 
they are able to sniff out when something is disingenuous much quicker than like the older generations are. And I think yeah. that that's really hard to combat from an advertising perspective when you don't have a genuine perspective on your own art. Like when you're willing to sell it out to AI, obviously you don't care about the artistry. You're just trying to sell a product. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's honestly like, it's gotten to the point where a bunch of people are just, just no longer like being like tricked by rich people who just like, I, I have a very, I don't like rich people just mostly. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I um, it's just like they have so much money and it just gives them so much influence to make dumb decisions and just be assholes and it's it's and like I feel like a lot of people just like see how like they they don't really treat the, the consumers like people they just treat them like a number that just needs to go up or down or just need to be influenced by the dumbest things and it, it's really just it's like and you see things with like the strike where it's like, yeah, that had to happen because rich people are too fucking selfish to care about the people that make the things that make them rich. And it's like, if they're rich, they're, they're exploiting someone. You have to assume that. Cause it's like, I don't know. It's just like, I, I've definitely am happy to hear that people are like that newer generations are being less tricked or being less influenced by emotionless corporate advertising because um, that's what it is it's emotionless it doesn't care about the consumer it doesn't care about their workers either and it just right it, it, it's manipulative yeah so like and a lot of the times you can only trust something if it's willing to show like to make at least some some part of it like vulnerable in its advertising like if it's about like showing the main person in charge and talking about like 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 why they do what they do or in, instead of like having someone else take be the face of it and someone else take the flack when it's the ceo or like the board of executives who are making the problems and are making and like making the mistakes that get people angry at the company yeah. yeah. It reminds like, me of that. Sorry, as much as I love this train of thinking, I, I need to push us on to the next one. Yeah, you're good. Sorry, sorry to cut you guys off. Uh -huh. I fine. agree with you, Jake. <laughs> I agree with all of this. Like I agree. This is this is great and I completely agree. I would love to have like a full conversation about We're going this, to but... the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so all three of these articles from Screen Rant were written by Brennan Klein. I just want to put that out there. Um, Brennan Lee Morgan? No. Um, <laughs> just uh, full credit to the original uh, publisher or the original writer of these articles. But um, this next one, um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard about this film because I didn't hear much about it at all. I saw oh, a couple. God. <laughs> couple previews. Um, like I think. It was, I think it was a preview or like a teaser during whenever we saw FNAF. There was a teaser for this, but I'm not sure. But um, uh, Taika Waititi's new sports movie earns his worst Rotten Tomatoes score ever. Um, so next goal wins was, uh, was Waititi, uh, excuse me, Waititi's most uh, recent film, 
that he directed. Yes. Um, and it earned the worst Rotten Tomato score for him as a director. It's an inspirational sports drama adapted from the 2014 documentary of the same name. It stars Michael Fassbender as Thomas Rongen, uh, um, a down-on-his-luck soccer coach, um, etc. Oh, um, the coach attempts to stave off being fired by agreeing to coach the failing American Samoa national team. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes has now aggregated an official score for Next Goal Wins. With 102 critics weighing in, the score has been calculated to be a thoroughly rotten 41%. This is the lowest score for any movie the director has ever helmed. The only lower rating for a project with Watiti attached to it is the 25% score held by 2011's Green Lantern, in which he appeared mm -hmm. as an actor. So after Green Lantern, this is his worst film that he's attached to at all. Even worse than Love and Thunder. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, some so, people really liked Love and Thunder, so it doesn't surprise me. That's probably barely above it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this is the only, it's only the second time in his career that uh, he's uh, directed a movie that was deemed rotten. The last time this happened was with his 2011 featured directorial debut, Eagle vs. Shark which currently holds a score of 57%. Um, however, his recent work has been experiencing diminishing critical returns despite re remaining consistently fresh. Um, and there's a, they included a chart of, of his works. Um, his, highest, um, his highest scored work is 2014's What We Do in the Shadows, followed by Hunt for the, uh, the Wilder People in 2016, and then um, Thor Ragnarok in 2017. Um, Thor Love and Thunder has a 63% and it's his fifth highest film. Gotcha. Highest scored film. Jojo Rabbit's not up there? Jojo Rabbit is number four. Oh. Gotcha. Yeah. So what do you guys think about that? I'm surprised. I, I guess um, Our Flag Means Death isn't technically a movie. Yeah, it's um, a show. But would that not be on his IMDb still? It wouldn't be on Rotten Tomatoes, huh? Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm not sure about IMDb. This is strictly Rotten Tomato scores. Gotcha. I didn't realize the uh, season two of Our Flag Means Death came out. Yeah, I'm it's what, not bad. Yeah, I I I, I, I didn't watch. I didn't realize that the second season came out because of strike. Yeah. Nice, but I'll have to watch it. I love the first season. Yeah, I was really disappointed to hear that his his works have been getting. He's also like bad recently. Just from like interviews of him recently, he's getting very like full of himself it feels really? like and just kind of like oh well you don't like what i'm doing all right well fuck you then sure kind of a thing um i don't know he's kind of I, I don't know i don't like the most recent interviews with him that's fair i don't don't get me wrong i i i think he has a lot of great projects it's just that's why it's sad to see that he's getting kind of weird sure <laughs> um so a bigger, uh, kind of going along with the first article we talked about, but um, so not the MCU, but another really awful or really diminishing franchise as of late. Harry Potter. Disney. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wish. Marvel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wish debuts on Rotten Tomatoes with Disney's worst score in 18 years. Um, oh, yep. Um, Wish has received Disney's worst Rotten Tomato score in nearly two decades. The upcoming film is the second, 
oh, excuse me, 62nd feature released by Walt Disney Animation Studios and is and the only one to be released during the company's um, centennial celebration in 2023. The company's iconic wishing star is a character in the movie descending to the kingdom of Rosas, where uh, when teenager Asha, uh, played by Ariana DeBose, um, makes a wish to save the land from impending doom. Rotten Tomatoes has now aggregated an official score for Disney's Wish from 55 critic reviews. While the score will fluctuate as more reviews are added in the days leading up to the movie's theatrical premiere, at the time of this article being written, uh, which was published a day ago, um, uh, uh, it is certified rotten at 58%. This Oof. marks the first time any Walt Disney Animation Studios movie has received a rotten score since 2005's Chicken Little, which has a score of 37%, which I love Chicken Little. I don't know why everybody hates on it. I love Chicken Little. I've watched it recently, and I remember loving it as a kid, and mm-hmm. it did not hold up for me, at least. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I haven't watched it recently, but I'm sure that would be the case. So this article goes on to say that um, this is an anomaly for Disney, um, one mathematical issue with the movie's Rotten Tomato score is the way the service aggregates reviews. A large number of the reviews considered quote-unquote negative are giving them the movie middling scores of C, uh, like a 5 out of 10 or 2.5 out of 5, largely praising the Wish cast and musical score despite finding its overall presentation bland. This is a different case from Chicken Little, which got more consistently negative reviews across the board, even earning an F score from one critic. Um, However, even taking the this aggregation process into account, this is still a surprisingly bad result for a Disney animated movie. Typically, the company earns more uh, effusive praise for its animated features, even one even ones that were financial flops, like last year's Strange World, which was seventy two percent. In fact, only nine of the company's previous sixty one releases have rotten scores, including nineteen forty nineteen forty six's Make Mine Music, which has a fifty eight percent. 1973's Robin Hood, 58%. In 1985's The Black Cauldron, 57%. Um, Oliver and Company, uh, 54%. And Pocahontas at 54% as well. The company's biggest stretch of bad reviews came at the turn of the millennium with 2001's Atlantis, Brother Bear, Home on the Range, and Chicken Little. However, that slump was was put to bed when the, with the subsequent... Um, 15 releases earned fresh scores. The score for the Wish movie doesn't necessarily indicate that another slump is impending, especially considering it's middling but not egregious reviews, but it does break the precedent 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 set by Disney's modern era. Any any thoughts on that cuz I have a lot about Disney. I have a lot of thoughts about Disney. Yeah. Disney also donated a, donated a bunch like millions of dollars to Israel. Oh god. Yeah. Mm. So don't go watch Disney movies. Please don't. Wait, Atlantis yeah. got like a bad score. What's that? Originally, yeah. Like Atlantis didn't get that good of a score. Atlantis currently has a forty-nine percent. Yeah, so it's, low. It's Brother a great Bear, movie, but back then people did not like it. Brother Bear yeah. is at thirty-seven percent. Happy Native American Heritage Month. Um, <laughs> Home on the Range, fifty-two percent. Which I fucking yeah. love. Home on the Range. I'm sorry. I know it's it's. <laughs> Kind of considered to be a bad movie, but I love it. But yeah, what are you guys thinking about Disney's recent works, recent releases? I will not talk about it. I okay. I really liked Encanto. Uh, sure. 
I think that's the last Disney movie that I can say that I've liked. Which isn't yeah. too, too like, old. It was, a, sure. what, two years ago? I think so. I think, um, when was Frozen 2 released? Frozen 2 was I, 2019. I did um, not like Frozen 2. I, I'm speaking specifically about the score for Frozen 2. Yeah. It's, which I thoroughly good. enjoyed. Um, and I, this is bad. Sure. But comparing score to score from Frozen 2 to Wish, there's a huge difference. Because that song is trash. It is. It's really bad. I heard a lot of people um, online circulating that it's an... Um, I don't know how true this is, that it's an AI-based film. I don't think it is. but Like, yeah. one of the songs was specifically written by AI, was auto-generated. Um, I think the v- main villain's song was supposed to be. Which, mm. but even the, it sounds like it is, but even the animation for the movie it says it's written by people. So the animation for the movie just looks so. I it's made like during the strike, or like it was finished, it's, being it's, finished during the strike. It's so bizarre to me though, because it it doesn't look right. It's almost like Uncanny Valley, yeah, for animation. It's really bizarre. Yeah, as soon as like I. I I have no idea about this movie really. I saw a trailer of it, saw that there were like there was a talking goat, and I was just like, oh okay, sure. I did I did not like this movie did not interest me at all. So I just yeah. haven't watched it or haven't haven't heard anything about it. I, even the songs, I just don't really care. Yeah, it's also Disney, so don't 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 go watch Disney movies. Yeah, this, yeah. We are not condoning Disney at all. Big um, thumbs down. <laughs> Moving on to to some good stuff. Uh, this is some some good news for cinema this week. There's a couple highlights. Um, Thanksgiving, the new horror movie, uh, is is this the title of this article from Collider is titled um, "Thanksgiving is Giving Horror Hit in Global Box Office Debut." It's also the best reviewed uh, film of director Eli Roth's career. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. What else did? Eli Roth do. Uh, he's done Green Inferno, Hostel, Cabin Fever. Uh, he did a segment from uh, not Death Proof, um, or it might have been Death Grindhouse, mm-hmm. the like Grindhouse movie, um, gotcha. which is where this movie was born from. Because he did a like fake trailer for a Thanksgiving horror movie, mm-hmm. and people kept telling him, "You need to make this," and yeah. he's like, "All right." So. Um... The film opened to uh, $10.2 million domestically domestically, and another $2.4 million. On a what, like um, $4 million budget? I, I'm not sure. Um, that could possibly be it. Um, from 11 overseas markets for a global deb- debut of $12.6 million. Uh, wow. Thanksgiving finished at the number three spot domestically, although um, it's in a close race with Disney's The Marvels. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, da, 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 the domestic chart was topped this weekend by The Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes um, with the animated threequel Trolls Band together taking the number two. What? Spot. Yeah. When the fuck did they make a Trolls movie? It's again? been way yeah, it... overshadowed by The wow. Hunger Games. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, there was a um, Trolls movie that came out online only and then one came out in theaters. So there's yeah. now, what, four <laughs> Trolls what movies? Fuck? Three. There's just three. Okay. Three. This one, this one was the third. Trolls band together. Um, so mm. Thanksgiving comes just ahead of its name, namesake. It was holiday. the world tour one. When did that come out? 
That was, was the like online a, one. That, that was, was the online, online one? Yeah. yeah. Didn't that have like uh, Bow Wow in it? I think so. I'm it sure had, Bow Wow it had, was it had a bunch of big names. Um, let's see. Um, Thanksgiving comes just ahead of its namesake holiday when the marketplace will become more crowded with the midweek midweek debuts of Ridley Scott's Napoleon and uh, Nobody's Disney's going Witch. To watch that movie. I'm I've sorry. also heard a lot of rough things about uh, Walking in Phoenix in Napoleon. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but yeah. no one's going to watch it. The film also comes on the heels of surprise horror hit FNAF, which has delivered over 130 million dollars domestically. Despite being a, a day and date streaming release. Um, let's see. So top horror movies of 2023 stack up as uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, followed by Scream 6, Megan, The Nun 2, and Insidious, The Red Door. I forgot Megan came out this year. Yeah, I always forget too, because we I feel like we've seen it so long ago. Yeah, we saw it in theaters. My, and my uh, pseudo-grandpa died in the middle of it. Oh, fuck. Um. I got about that. I got te- we were like watching Megan. I got a text that like, yeah, he's dead. I was like, ah, oof, oh. Um, I don't know how to move on from this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as I Very... said, um, Thanksgiving is Eli Roth's best reviewed movie. Um, let's see. Well, Thanksgiving opened lower than each of the movies I. I said previously, it's easily the best reviewed of the lot. The film currently sits at a fresh 83% score on Rotten Tomatoes, a career best for Roth, earning a, a recommendation from Collider's Emma Keeley, who calls it, quote, a uh, horror meal worth biting into. Uh, it's based on the mock trailer Roth directed for Robert Rodriguez's uh, Grindhouse. And Tarantino. Uh, it follows the murderous exploits of a mysterious serial killer in a small town in Massachusetts, Roth previously directed a uh, the gory films Hostel and The Green Inferno. Thanksgiving stars Patrick Dempsey, Addison Ray. Why the fuck is Addison Ray in this? Sorry. Why are you putting Addison Ray in things? Um, Milo <laughs> uh, McKean, um, Mannheim, sorry, Milo Mannheim, uh, Jalen Thomas Brooks, Neil um, uh, Verlake, Rick Hoffman, and Gina Gershon. And will next debut in markets such as Belgium and France on the 29th, Mexico and the Netherlands on the 30th, and Brazil on the 7th. Anybody nice. going to go see Thanksgiving? I hope so. Yeah. It looks really cool from all the trailers that I've yeah. seen. I do want to go see it. Yeah. Yeah, pilgrims are scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Colonizers are terrifying. As we talked about in our Paranorman episode. And we talked about <laughs> in our Native American a heritage um episode yeah but so i mentioned that um i mentioned five nights at freddy's i have another article about uh fanaf because i can't stop talking about it it still continues to climb at the global box office check out our uh episode about fanaf please go listen to it it's a great episode um so it's almost two hours yeah it's it's a long (laughs) one it's two minutes short of two hours it's worth it i swear so um, this article from Collider says uh, FNAF continues to impress with its performance at the at the global box office. Uh, let's see. It's currently sits as of this um, this publishing of one day ago. It currently sits at two hundred seventy one million dollars. Um, let's see. 
It's managed to earn more than 10 times the total of its reported $20 million budget. From the film's global total, $132 million comes from the domestic box office, providing proving audiences can't get enough of the horrifying events that take place in the pizzeria. We all know the plot. We've talked about it. Um, after earning $80 million during its opening weekend, FNAF eventually became the highest grossing horror movie release uh, of the year, beating out titles such as Insidious the Red Door and The Nun 2. Um, the adaptation of, Scott's, of Scott Cawthon's 2014 smash hit faced significant drops for every subsequent, subsequent weekend it's been playing in theaters, but its devoted fan base has ensured that it turned out to be a profitable endeavor for the studio. It remains to be seen in this movie um, was the start of a franchise or if Blumhouse will, will move on towards different concepts. Um, the future of Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, a sequel to FNAF has not been officially announced yet um, by either Blumhouse or Universal. But looking how the, the movie's box office total currently sits at $271 million, there are plenty of possibilities. Uh, Blumhouse has announced uh, sequels to both Megan and The Black Phone. Those are both currently in development, so it wouldn't be surprising to see a comeback from Freddy and the gang. And um, the gang. But one thing that we did see uh, literally in the, in the teaser for, or in the trailers during when we saw FNAF is, one, Blumhouse is already writing out that FNAF credit on their... On their um, future releases but um the new one that's coming out this next year uh imaginary um looks really good oh it's interesting yeah um i've seen quite a few teasers and trailers for it or not quite a few trailers but a couple and it looks really interesting yep um any thoughts about fnaf or blumhouse from you guys uh, i i spent two hours talking about my <laughs> thoughts on fnaf so it was really good I don't Valid. have any thoughts on the other thing, though. Valid. Okay. <laughs> so I'll <laughs> I'll move on. I also mentioned in the first article um, the Hunger Games uh, movie that released this week uh, tops the global box office. Um, the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes uh, brought the Hunger Games franchise back onto the big screen after an eight-year hiatus. Um, the reinvigoration of the Hunger Games saga came out uh, on top at the global box office with the film generating an estimated 98.5 million worldwide, but these totals still came in beneath what most um, anal analysts were expecting. This uh, 98.5 million total came from 44 million generated in North America and unsurprising some given the popularity of the franchise. Um, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes led the way at the U.S. box office topping um, Disney's second place finisher, the Marvel's but it was still below initial projections. Um, it still managed to generate another 54.5 million overseas. Uh, this was led by the United Kingdom, um, and then Germany, China, France, and Mexico following. Um, this, it does mark a low for the franchise, um, whose first four films generated a combined uh, 3 billion globally during the theatrical runs. The highest grossing of the four was Hunger Games Catching Fire, grossing more than $865 million at the worldwide box office. It's the uh, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes is unlikely to come anywhere near that total. While the film could still easily re recoup its reported $100 million budget, it is, still, it is likely being bogged down by mixed reviews. It currently holds 61% on Rotten Tomatoes, the lowest in the franchise, 
and a less than favorable marketing window coming out of the dual Hollywood strikes. Yeah. Anybody seen this yet? No, I want to, but I I think I want to read it before I watch it. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. I know that a lot of, a lot of folks were, uh, were saying that it's, it's, you kind of get the best experience having read it first. I know a lot of people say that for any movie that's based on the book. Yeah, but Susan Collins' writing style, I feel like, especially when it comes to her characters that have very a lot of internal dialogue, mm-hmm. I I feel like I enjoyed Hunger Games more knowing what Katniss's internal dialogue was. For um, sure. And I feel like, I don't know that much about Songbirds and Snakes, but I know that it's good. And I, f- I don't want to, like, ruin my experience by making me watch the movie and then reading it. And, like, my reading is in changed because of that you know what i mean the movie's also almost three hours long yes i've heard that the score is very good it's very appalachian um folk like not um but yeah folksy kind of score which i think is very interesting a lot of people have been latching onto that as far as i've seen but i'm very interested to see it i just i want to watch it first i might wait until it either goes to streaming or once it gets um released on DVD. Yeah. Blu-ray. Whatever Gabe wants to get. Blu-ray. Blu-ray. Um, Jake, any thoughts about about the new Hunger Games Anything? movie? Um, I haven't really like I don't know. Like for me, like Hunger Games, I kinda I don't know, I've like kind of lost a little bit of interest. It's something that's like <laughs> interesting to like that I feel like I might watch eventually, but it's not something I'm really gonna rush into Sure. Anytime soon. I'm gonna focus on other movies first, I guess. Sure. I do appreciate that the um the original uh franchise of the Hunger Games featuring Jennifer Lawrence, they did they do did do a really good job of like of rounding out the saga and like ending the story there. I think it was, it was really good. Uh this is mainly uh credit to Su- Suzanne Collins writing, but uh I do appreciate that they went with a prequel versus a sequel. Yeah, that was a good choice. I haven't seen or read any of them. Well, so guess what we're hey. doing tonight? Uh, <laughs> I've read all of them. I've seen the movies several times. They're, it's great. It's one of I think my favorite like young adult novel series. It's a oh. decent franchise, actually. I know it got a little bit of. I feel like it got a little bit of hate whenever it was. Yeah, showing. but I feel like it's the same kind of hate that Brie Larson got. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. I think personally, I think Jennifer Lawrence is a great actress. I like, I enjoy most of her films. Yeah, and I think she was fine for Katniss. Like, oh yeah. I, people, people were like, she didn't emote at all. It's like she's a. That's the, read the book. The characters like that. She's a Katniss, girl. Yeah. Are you saying girls can emote? No, not, I just mean not like girls she's not like that... a superhuman like. You know what I mean? Protagonist yeah. type character. She was just a human being that like was a teenager trying to survive. And watched her dad, watched her dad die, watched her, like her community die around her. Oh, yeah. And then was forced to kill other kids. Oh, for survival. And then forced to become a symbol. Wouldn't know, but now I know. Oh shit! Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, like I feel like Hunger Games. Like after it came out, a bunch of other dystopian movies came out trying to get the success of Hunger Games. Because almost every young adult novel is dystopian. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, had, it, like it, Maze Runner and The Giver and Hunger Games that kind of all came out in the 2010s. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and like I feel like some people might be a bit burned out of like the genre as a whole, and also just because I feel like young adult fiction kind of gets shit on a lot. Oh, too. Sure. Mm-hmm. One so. young adult, um, like theatrical, not theatrical, but release. I'm very excited. Gabe is already sick and tired of me talking about this, but I don't know if y'all were Percy Jackson fans at all, yeah. but Rick Riordan is like directed and wrote the Percy Jackson TV series that's going to be released on Disney Plus in December. Yeah. And I'm losing my goddamn mind over it. I'm I'm so sad that Disney is the one to create it because it means I can't I know. watch it. <laughs> I like, know. Oh. But yeah. I'm so excited because everybody knows notoriously the movies are shit. The Percy yeah. Jackson movies are terrible. They ruined the books, everything. I'm just so excited that Rick the author actually got a chance to to write it the way it should have been written. And I'm so grateful that it's a cast of uh, POC actors and actually like um, young actors portraying uh, young characters. Um, from what I've seen from teasers, it, it looks so good. I won't talk about it anymore, but I'm very excited for it if you couldn't tell. Yeah. Um, so this uh, next section is kind of like a mixed bag, like a couple of other things that a um, couple other uh, movie news or cinema news that I wanted to talk about. Um, within the uh, horror realm, uh, Mike Flanagan's latest Stephen King movie has wrapped up filming. Uh, Mike Flanagan uh, confirms that uh, Life of Chuck has wrapped up filming. Um, it's his third adaptation of a story by Stephen King. Uh, the acclaimed director confirms that he's wrapped up filming on Life of Chuck. The film is based on the story of the same name that it's um, that is included in the book If It Bleeds, published by King in 2020, along with Mr. Harrigan's phone, Rat, and another story that bears the name of the entire collection. The plot centers on Charles Krantz, uh, featuring three different stories told from his death to his childhood. Um, now that the strike has come to an end, Flanagan was able to finish filming the movie, which features um, a great cast led by Tom Hiddleston, Mark Hamill, Karen Gillan, Matthew Lillard. And wife. <laughs> Matthew <laughs> Lillard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Among many others. Through his X page, Flanagan confirmed the completion of the filming. Sharing his an Twitter emotion. page. I'm, we're not giving Elon that. Anyway, topic. I'm reading straight from this article right now. Um uh, Flanagan has made it very clear that Life of Chuck holds a special place in his heart. His post on Twitter reads as follows. That's a wrap on the Life of Chuck. This has been a, ten- a tenacious little miracle um, of a movie from the start, and I'm forever indebted to this wonderful cast and crew. This fem- film is deeply sac- special to me, and I'm elated that it's going to exist in the world. He responded to that original post with, It's been a long time since I made something truly independent, and, it's fed my- and it fed my soul to be back in the indie world where I started, especially here in Alabama, where we shot Oculus before I wake Hush and Gerald's game. Ooh, Oculus. Mm. Oculus is good. Yeah, anybody excited to see this? Oh, yeah. It's Mike Flanagan, so I'm right right there with him. Yeah, I unfortunately have not read any Stephen King. Uh, Obviously, I've seen works adapted from his um, from his books but i'm i'm kind of excited to see this one especially if it means so much to the director excited yeah and not uh, his like first foray into stephen king either oh no definitely not his third third yeah 
I mean, I know nothing about this movie, so it's it's if I watch it, it's gonna be a surprise. I don't know. For sure. Yeah. I know absolutely nothing about about the book, um, or the like the short stories within it. So I'm excited. I think it'll be interesting. Um, this is an article from EmpireOnline.com. John Cena starring Ky- uh, Coyote versus, versus Acme shelved by Warner Brothers. I thought they unshelved. Like I thought they had enough backlash that they greenlit it. Um, that could be it. Um, this article is from September, so that's... I'm pretty sure they like they got so much backlash for that that Let that they see. greenlit the project. Let me see. So. He said the movie was greenlit with a $70 million budget and it was supposed to be for their for their streaming service. The time between it was greenlit and now that are, there's been a regime change at Warner Bros. And the new regime has said we are not going to make $70 million movies for the streaming service. We're going to put all of our movies in theaters. So then they said, okay, we'll put this movie in theaters. But then as they looked at it to the people uh, to the people at the studio, it didn't feel theatrical enough for a, excuse me, a thirty million marketing campaign that you uh, have to give to this to make this movie a success. So they said, let's just not release it at all. We'll get some financial benefits from being able to apply the losses on our balance sheet, and that's where the creative community really responded negatively. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah, the they did the same... that movie for a, a tax write-off. <laughs> exactly. The same thing. They they did the same thing to Batgirl. Yeah, this is not a new thing. Uh, I think that's what they said in this interview. Was that they shelved Batgirl, um, which is so dumb. Yeah. Like, you had Brendan Fraser, Michael Art, Keaton, really, like, fuck. yeah, yeah. Like that. That was like a, like they, they were done. I th- I'm pretty sure, like filming it, and it's just that's mm-hmm. so stupid that we're never going to see that movie because, fucking, big wig. CEOs are like, um, it's not, we're not going to make enough money off of it, actually. So, um, the interviewer from NPR said, Congressman Joaquin Castro from Texas called for a, for a probe into Warner Brothers from, of the strategy, comparing it to burning down a house for insurance month, insurance money. Uh, yep. Baloney responded, I don't really understand the criticism because obviously Warner Brothers paid for the movie. They can do with it what they want. The talent involved in the film was getting paid, so he so he says I don't really see the argument there. There was also an antitrust argument that was thrown around by the congressman. I don't really see that either because this isn't really anti-competitive. It's just one studio having financial problems, deciding that they don't want to release a product. But it seems wrong that these artists would put years of their lives into a movie and that the studio would decide not to release it for a small financial benefit. Yes, that's so, that's the big thing. Yeah, that's right. Especially when, the, like, they can't put it on their resume. They can't put it on their credits anymore. Exactly. Like, John doing, Cena can't put this on his resume. Bah, bah, bah. Like, doing a big movie and, like, spending so much time and dedicating, like, all of your, like, time to this movie. And then it just being canceled and it not, like, allowing you to show off your talent. It just, like, because, like, so, like, every movie is an opportunity for you to have, like, a breakthrough. Especially for every actor. Like, and it, it's... And, like, not even just that. And it's so stupid that they just get canceled after, like, putting so much time and effort into it. Like, if you're making a movie and there's there's a set, there's people filming it, you got cameras, you got the props, you got everything, the movie should come out. It, it's yeah. not 
it, it's it's you shouldn't waste years of people's time. Like you shouldn't waste like ten months of someone's time, and then just throw it all away and be like, oh, what you're you're treating it like a like we're doing a bad thing. We're it's our money. We spent it. And like no, fuck right. you. You're wasting people's time. It's it's really unfortunate, especially because this is not a new thing. Like they've been doing this for a little bit with Batgirl and a couple of other di- different films. There's another Batman animated show that was supposed to be supposed to start, yeah. but they canceled that. So it's it's really disappointing. Yeah, like if you think of like other like movies like that were canceled, like um, Nimona. Yeah, like Nimona was canceled, and like it took like just people like just so much effort to really bring it so that it finally released, mm-hmm. and like it just. It just sucks how that just happens so often, and that's so much like because like good stories are being like just dropped, and in like some of these stories, like I don't know, it's just like you really just it's fucking stupid, and yeah. rich people need to fucking Fuck follow through on their promises. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. Um. This next article from Cinema Blend is not a, um, it's not really about a movie. It's about an award that was, was released. And a lot of fans are. The Fox News Awards? No. (laughs) A lot of fans are getting really upset over this. Like, not upset, but like angry, like angry that about why it was given to, to this person. So, um, a award was given out by who did it uh the independent they uh named the sexiest bald man of 2023 gabe i've already told you this i want jake and daniel i want you guys to try and guess who was named the sexiest bald man of 2023 no i and i want you to know this is does not just include actors this includes uh a lot of celebrities and uh a little bit outside of that realm as well think uh just the general famous people you know did they give us a Dwayne the rock johnson no actually oh thank god (laughs) i'm trying to think of like who is famous enough and who would get a lot of attention you guys will never guess this (laughs) gabe gabe was flabbergasted whenever i told them I was aghast. Was it, it'd, be, it'd be fucking hilarious if it was given to like a politician or someone. <laughs> You're kind of close with oh, politician. Gecko, gecko. No. <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> no. I mean, God, I I was gonna look up bald like bald people, but like I don't <laughs> that that might that might spoil it. Um. Hmm. Let me think. Uh. Uh, don't don't think just America. Yeah, yeah. Don't keep it to America. Oh. Think outside of America. Are we From talking UK. like? I can't think of anyone who's bald that's like. Famous. You're clo- You got it with the. Go ahead. Is it someone UK? from the royal family? It is from somebody from the royal family. I don't know. Okay, this is where my boyfriend would come in hand. He would immediately know that. <laughs> yeah. This is ridiculous that this man got this award. You guys want me to tell you who it was? Yes. Prince Gerald. Prince Gerald. William was named um, the sexiest bald man of 2023. Prince William wrote this article. 
So, <laughs> if you guys didn't know, Patrick Dempsey was recently named as Sexiest Man Alive. Which I have issues with, but go ahead. <laughs> Anyways, uh, a week later, the Independent announced his annual pick for Sexiest Bald Man. Um, there are a lot of people that were thoroughly upset with this choice, obviously. The tooch is right there. So, <laughs> the Independent <laughs> conducted its study through the marketing agency of Reboot which looks at how many times celebrity names have been searched online with the words shirtless or naked, and then combines those results with other factors that might contribute to one's allure, like net worth, height, vocal attractiveness, and of course, their scalp's shine factor. In the end, the royal dome shone the brightest, but that just would not do for the Stanley Tucci fans. Um, um, somebody wrote in on Twitter saying, quote, Stanley Tucci isn't sweating over a pot of al dente risotto on TikTok daily for this. Dude, his his <laughs> dude, <laughs> his fucking cooking videos on TikTok are, they do something to me, let me yeah. tell you. So what are you guys' thoughts on this? Because personally, Stanley Tucci is the sexiest bald man ever. If Jack Black wasn't bald, then it would be him. Jack Black he's, isn't bald. That's he's why not he's, bald. He's disqualified immediately for not being bald. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was so confused. <laughs> that's just, that's just, I had the same vibe as the, the one bit where he's like, hey, can I have a burger with no blueberries? Why would the burger have blueberries on it? I, I know. That's why I said I don't want blueberries. Why would, the bl- why would the burger have blueberries? I don't like shaving cream. I don't like the way it tastes. Why would you eat shaving cream? What the? F- I'm not eating it. I wouldn't eat something I don't like. <laughs> no, why, why would I eat it if I don't like it? Uh, I was appalled whenever I read this. Yeah, I was so again. Mad. Someone in the British family had to have wrote that. Like, yeah, honestly, I don't understand. No one can look at Prince William. Well, and like, yeah, if, that's the if, shit. If UK residents are included in that vote, they go. Some of them go hard for royalty. So yeah, because they look Prince like William, anglerfish. Young Prince <laughs> William, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All British people look like anglerfish or Wallace and Gromit. Oh no! Oh, <laughs> I would not be surprised if the royal family is just like has like a couple of, like media outlets that they like, like occasionally have like, hey, keep this royal person relevant now. Mention right. their name for no fucking reason and just keep them relevant. And it's like there's no tooth fairy and there's no Queen of England. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I forget the royal family exists from time to time. Honestly, yeah. as... I forget that like Meghan Markle is a person. Yeah, like Which... I know, I know Prince Harry is because he came out with like a memoir and he like detailed oh, yeah. his masturbation antics. Ugh. Um, I know that one wasn't <laughs> Sorry, that exactly. <laughs> 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 you scarred all of us. Uh, hey man, I had to listen to it. I um, that wasn't really like cinema related but i wanted to throw that one in because it is like disturbing i feel like i would have been more fine with the rock even though i still wouldn't have agreed sure the rock kind of makes sense pitbull throw pitbull Pitbull. that recent video that came out of pitbull of him like spitting like fingers was crazy Uh, uh uh life is uh life is time is not a waste of life and Life is not a waste of time, so let's get wasted and have the time of our lives. Stop wasting time and have the time of our lives. Yeah. It was crazy. Bars. Terry Crews. Do it. Oh, Terry Crews. What about him? Oh, it's thinking oh. of bald people. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, Terry Crews is bald. Um, yeah. Sure. 
He's fun. Just he's fine. Yeah. I don't know. So, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Oh, I <laughs> he was... came out recently and he's like, "Yeah, I had to quit porn. It was getting in the way of my kids." Jesus Christ. As it does. <laughs> um, as it as does. it does. <laughs> um. Obviously, the biggest news of this month is obviously the end of the SAG after strike. Yeah. Thank goodness. Um, I wanted to kind of get into that and talk about it. Um, I know we've talked about it here and there throughout our podcast, um, the, our past few episodes, and we were actually recording the day that it was announced yeah. that it was it ended. That was our FNAF episode. I believe it was, actually. Mm-hmm. So um, this is an article from CNBC uh, written by Gil Malinsky. Um, this was published on Friday the 17th. On November Aww. 8th, after 118 days of striking, Hollywood actors reached a tentative agreement with studios and streamers regarding the working conditions of their industry. The news comes more than a month after entertainment writers reached a deal with the Alliance of Motion Picture and television producers themselves. So, every th- three years, the Screen Actors Guild, Amer- American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, renegotiates actors' contracts, including factors like uh, wage minimums and safety on set, opposite of AM, AMPTP, which represents studios studios like Sony and streamers like Amazon. The two entered negotiations on June 7th, but failed to reach an agreement by parties extended by parties extended July uh, 12th deadline. Uh, SAG-AFTRA then called the strike to begin on July 14th, officially ending it on November 9th. Um, quote, I feel pretty confident in saying this is a paradigm shift in seismic of seismic proportion, said SAG after President Fran uh, Drescher. Drescher, thank you, on the union's website about the New Deal. In a statement to CNBC, um, the AMPTP agreed, saying the deal, quote, gives SAG after the biggest contract on contract gains in the history of the union, end quote. So, so we're going to kind of going to be talking about is what was agreed on for the strike to end the strike. So wage increases, new streaming bonuses and limits on self tapes. So um, SAG's new contract covers numerous aspects of actors jobs. Actors will get a hike in basic wage minimums for a variety of projects across both film and television. Uh, For anyone with a speaking role, minimums will be increased by 7% effective November 9th, another 4% effective July, 2024 and another 3.5% effective July, 2025. Background actors will get an increase of 11% on November 9th and the same increases as others going forward. Actors will also get better streaming residuals and bonuses for hit shows and movies defined as those seen by 20% or more of a streaming service's domestic subscribers in the first 90 days of release or the first 90 days of any any year following that first year of release. Bonuses will equal 100% of an actor's residual, but only 75% will go to the actor directly. The other 25% will go to a joint fund managed by the reps from both the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA who will distribute it to actors in other streaming shows. This idea is to, quote, spread the wealth. Um, That was said by entertainment lawyer Jonathan Handel. They also got improvements to their pensions and new limits around virtual audience or auditions. Um... Uh, performers are performers are to be sent audition material at least 48 hours in advance uh, and have new guidelines around memorizing text. Let's see. AI protections was a big one as well. Um, that was a big sticking point in negotiations. Um, a, uh, the uh, 
proliferation of tech like AI, the new contract creates protections around various scenarios in which tech would come into play. This includes consent and compensation around digital replicas uh, created while actors, while an actor's working on a given project. Consent and compensation around digital replicas created outside the scope of a project and digital alterations to an actor's performance. From a labor perspective, the scope of these guardrails is, uh, quote, quite an accomplishment. Uh, that's from Handle as well. Um, any thoughts on that, guys? Good. 100% everything, yes. Yeah. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but, like, on Twitter, people were posting about how they were extras in the WandaVision TV show. And mm -hmm. this was before the AI boom, like, hit media specifically. And they were getting scanned back when WandaVision was filming so that they could then be superimposed into other content using AI, like using their face. Oh, yeah. wow. I had no idea about that. Yeah, that's terrifying, especially before like, like AI is as developed as it is today. Like it's so uh -huh. quickly evolved. Like I can imagine being an actor and being scanned in a room as part of your contract to be an extra for a Disney movie. To be yeah. like, oh, I might be in a different Disney movie, but I won't know about it. Exactly. That's that's terrifying to think about. Yeah. So I'm I'm so glad that that's like become such an important thing to actors because it's it has these huge ramifications that like I feel like it's really easy to just not think about. Like it's really easy to just be like, oh yeah, it AI is cool, whatever. And. Uh, personally, I think that was one of the biggest sticklers of the strike was to trying to navigate the new role of AI in cinema. Yeah, I feel like they really wanted to pull the wool over the eyes of everyone to be like, oh, it's just like the beginning days of the Internet when no one really knew how it worked. Like, mm -hmm. we're we're all like confused. No one knows what's going to happen. It's like, no, we see exactly where this is going. Like history repeats itself. We ain't fooled. Yeah, we we know what you're trying to do. We know, like, we know your fucking games by now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like, I I love this. This is exactly like, and my hope is that it not only like expands more, but it expands into other industries where people just like we're just like there's more done because I'm sick of companies doing like internal investigations on themselves and be like oh nothing we're not bad we're good see we did an investigation on ourselves we're good and it's like we need more guilds that like just that like have more like power to influence and keep yeah. fucking rich people in check and keep these companies in check because if they can't exploit people they will that's just that's the bottom line like we need like we need to constantly be uploading work, like updating worker laws in every industry. Yeah, one hundred percent. So, um, so following that, like, kind of outline on the things, um, like the things that have been uh, negotiated. I have a final article from the Atlantic about kind of the future of the the post strike Hollywood. Um, so this is like I said, this is from the Atlantic. Um, so kind of the, what's to come after this strike and agreements looks to be a little bit darker. Like previous strikes, this one was instigated by a genuine reckoning for the industry. Every time there is a new technological innovation, TV sets, video cassettes, pay TV, digital downloads, Hollywood has an identity crisis. 
The latest tech foil was streaming. It was an exciting, generative, endlessly replicated innovation, or seemed that way until everyone started to slow down and look at the numbers. Disney, for example, has lost $10 billion on its streaming service since 2019, and many writers, actors, and studio heads felt it wasn't working for them either. Um, What were the hard truths revealed by the strike, and what will the next year of entertainment look like? Um, Let's see. Oh, it's another... Sorry, it's another um, podcast transcript. Um, So, um, Hollywood studios are striking actors. Sorry, guys, I apologize. Mm -hmm. I should have, I should have read this and like taken notes on it before. Um, Yeah, so in the 50s and 60s, it was TV sets, 80s was video cassettes and pay TV, and the 2000s was the download of shows and movies. And in each of these cases, actors and or writers went on strike for their to earn their fair share. So the big transition is streaming. Netflix create kind of spearheaded this new model of this new model uh, movie studios and TV networks kind of scrambled to replicate it and get their kind of get their foot in the water. And uh, the streaming wars created an absurd amount of new shows, but the writers and actors making them often earned far less than they did in traditional distribution models. So what does this mean for us, the viewers? Um, We've gotten used to being entertained, infinite possibilities um, of an ever-increasing number of streaming services, Um, but it doesn't work for the actors, it doesn't work for the writers, it doesn't work for the studios. Um, It's obviously not going to last forever. Um, so like you've got Disney plus Hulu, ESPN, AMC plus Paramount, all the stuff. Um, so this is an interview with David Sims and Shirley Lee, uh, two of the Atlantic writers who cover Hollywood. Um, I apologize. Another pause here. Yeah, it was kind of odd that the studios themselves were unprepared for a strike. And Yeah, because they thought they were doing everything right. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. The really? strikes lasted more than 100 days, and it was the first time the writers and actors have struck together, struck together since the 60s. So it was That's a really right. huge movement that caught studios off guard. Yeah, good for them. I mean, like, you, you kind of talk about how, like, it's it's been a pattern with, like, every, like, change and how like media is like shown with like um oh it moved to streaming it moved to downloads and stuff like that where it's like strikes have happened like for every single one right and it's like it shouldn't we shouldn't need strikes for like for companies to realize that you know people want better and that like you need to you need to acknowledge that you need like you don't only need to account for like what gets you the most money you need to account for what works for literally everyone and you need to constantly like be aware of that and like the fact that they they were surprised of a strike happening when apparently this is a pattern exactly it's like like when you're uh like you talk to your abusive parents you're like hey you did this to me as a kid and they're like what? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah. Or, or more. I think that's true too. But I think more accurately, you're like, 
once you move out from your abusive parents, you're like, hey, these are the reasons I'm moving out. And they're like, oh, I didn't see it coming. I can't believe exactly. you don't talk to me anymore. Exactly. I think that's a really great analogy. Um, David Sims says, in his opinion, he's not sure what the future holds, but he thinks it's probably a good thing for Hollywood to realize this about itself, this problem. Um, he says, quote, he says, quote, we can't all just pretend that there's no money going around or that we can, you know, sink hundreds of millions of dollars into unprofitable things. Um, the interviewer said so they can no longer ignore the fact that they were a giant uh, fundamental that there were giant fundamental existential questions they were failing to look at. Yeah. Um, that is my last article. I kind of wanted, I know we have been touching base here and there on the strike um, while it was going on and after it ended. So I kind of wanted to give, give us a moment to, to kind of talk about it as a whole more succinctly. And I apologize for not having my notes all together. Uh, cohesively, but I, I appreciated the conversation that we had, um, and I think our audience our audience will appreciate it as well. Um, yeah, like, this this was a huge uh, keystone for uh, Hollywood. I think it was a really great thing that happened, and obviously it's going to happen again because this is obviously a pattern thing as technology is evolving, as the world is evolving. Um, this is more than likely just going to happen again. Yeah, it's it probably is. And like in the grand scheme, like for like for consumers, it's like a hundred days isn't that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But for the people that work in the industry and that have been like just constantly like protesting, constantly trying to make their like voices heard, constantly working, like it it took a lot of like it took a lot of effort and a lot of time from people who are passionate not only about their job and their livelihood but about what's being made but it's yeah. like the stories that are being told right and i mean especially when you're like imagine going on strike for something you care so deeply about because you know it will impact the future and then you can't pay rent because of it like i know there was a yeah. bunch of donation pools and everything but not every single person in the industry was able to get taken care of with those for sure uh, yeah people like uh killian murphy where he was like i was just at home eating cheese um <laughs> uh, in the interest of time i'm going to cut our conversation there um i hope you guys enjoyed this breaking news episode with katie leard and the host of bottom of the barrel um these are really fun episodes for me to do i really enjoy using my journalism skills to go and sleuth the stuff out i know that this episode is not indicative of that because i was kind of all over the place but um, I enjoy these, and I enjoy uh, talking with you guys about uh, the current current events of the movie industry and cinema. Yeah, this was really fun. Nice. Well, Gabe, you want to wrap us out? Sure. Uh, wear a condom. Uh, see you guys. <laughs> so, you want to wrap in condoms? Yeah, wrap it out. Like wrap it up. Just when you go outside. Just when you have a dick, and you have to. I wouldn't know what that's like, okay? I wouldn't either. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, go follow us on our social medias. Um, bottom of the barrel pod at gmail.com is our email. Uh, two L's on the Instagram and email, Facebook. Uh, we have a TikTok now, so go follow us Ooh. on tick, the, the, the talk of the ticks. The clock app. Um, the clock app. Um, 
we have a link in our bio and my personal uh, Instagram bio and our Facebook page uh, to donations to the people in Gaza at the moment. Um, please, if you can, go donate there. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. Uh, anyone else have any closing, closing remarks? Stand in Gaza. I'm Jake. And I'm Daniel. <laughs> Welcome back to Bottom of the Barrel. <laughs> it's a never-ending chain. <laughs> Wear a condom for when you sneeze. <laughs> <laughs>